Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. But if you can be a professional operator that pays a fair price, a more than fair price even, to a mom and pop seller, and if you can add these valuable things, you can massively increase the value, the net operating income, and the wealth of your investors. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is Paul Moore. Paul was, he had a stint at Ford Motor Company and then went off and co-founded a staffing firm where he's a finalist for Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year for two years straight. And after exiting that company, he went on and started investing in real estate. Now he's, he's contributed to Fox Business. He's a regular contributor on Bigger Pockets. And he's a co-host of a wealth building podcast called How to Lose Money. He's also been featured himself on over 200 other podcasts, and he's the author of a couple books. One is The Perfect Investment, Creating Enduring Wealth from the Historic Shift to Multifamily Housing, and the other is Storing Up Profits, Capitalizing on America's Obsession with Stuff by Investing in Self-Storage. And finally, Paul is the founder and managing partner of Wellings Capital. So Paul, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, it's great to be here, Ken. I'm really honored to be on your show. Yeah, thanks. And uh, so obviously extensive experience and thought leadership that, that you're putting out there and a ton of value you're creating in the market, but give people a sense of, of where you started and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I got an engineering degree. That was my first mistake. Then I got an MBA, uh, went to Ford Motor Company, like you said, and then um, after selling our company to a private, to a publicly traded firm in 97, I sort of stumbled into real estate just because I was bored in 2000. Started flipping houses, then waterfront lots, then did a small subdivision, then did an online real estate business, which I still have running in the background. And I, you know, through all that, I was wondering, how do I get involved in commercial real estate? And I could never see where the on-ramps were, I interviewed a guy once who had syndications, but that was kind of like a foreign thing to me. I don't think that was really famous, Kent, 
before uh, 2012 or so. It just seemed like it was kind of in the background. Yeah. And now, of course, lots of people, you and I and others are talking about it. But uh, finally stumbled into commercial grade multifamily in 2011 when we built two apartment complexes, ran them as quasi hotel, quasi apartments in North Dakota during the big oil boom and uh, went from there. So that's how I got started. Oh, very good. So you, actually, you, you jumped right in with both feet on just doing a development right, right off the bat. Yeah, we didn't know any better. I got a funny story. I hate to tell it, but when we were going to sell our facilities there um, years after we were, you know, owning and operating these, the, the one of the buyers said, where's your rent roll? I said, rent what? I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And so that's how much we were living in this vacuum of running this property. You know, we didn't have any training or experience, but Honestly, when, you know, I mean, let's, let's say average rents around the country are a dollar, maybe a dollar 20 a square foot per month. Mm -hmm. We were doing $13 a month and getting it. So, you know, wow. when you're doing that, it can, like, you can be really sloppy and do well. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, I went from there to a mentoring program and actually learned what a rent will rent, rent roll and a lot of other stuff was. Awesome. Well, hey, man, congrats on that early success. And yeah, sometimes it's just about being in the right market, right? Right. <laughs> and it could have been the wrong market because if we'd have got in and built that when oil was 110 a barrel, and then we had to operate it when oil was $28 a barrel, mm -hmm. which happened after that briefly. I mean, it was in the 30s after that. I mean, we would have been in the wrong place at the wrong time, but yep. it just turned out the right place at the right time. Yeah, timing is everything. Well, great, Paul. And I mean, you, so you've got this long breadth of experience. You're putting out a ton of thought leadership. And I know you just have a really good perspective on, on the market, kind of where things are at, not only in multifamily, but in multiple asset classes. So just, I want to start with just what's your perspective on kind of where we are now with multifamily? And you can talk about others as well. And, you know, where do we go from here? And, 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 and let's bring that back to what does that mean for our investors? You know, I wrote a book called The Perfect Investment, as you mentioned, and we could circle back in a minute here and discuss why I believe multifamily <clears throat> is the perfect investment. I mean, based on demographics, based on math, based on all kinds of reasons. But for the last several years, I've been concerned that maybe it wasn't perfect if we had to overpay to get there. And so I've concluded two things. Number one, it's not the perfect investment if you have to pay such an outrageous price that you have no buffer for downside and your razor, your razor thin margins are depending on inflation to even ever get to profitability. That's one thing. The second thing I've concluded, I'll, I'll say three things. That first, second, I've concluded that inflation might cover over a multitude of sins, as they say, meaning the news is full and the internet searches right now are just going crazy on inflation. Mm -hmm. Well, if inflation really does kick in the way it seems to be, uh, it's possible that those razor thin margins will be fixed. And that makes a lot of people breathe a sigh of relief, I would imagine. The third thing I would say, and this is the most important of the three, is you can fix this problem if you know how to acquire assets 
from mom and pop sellers. And for those of you listening, if you don't know how to acquire assets from mom and pop sellers, I highly recommend that you hitch your wagon to somebody who does and invest with them because it's a massive difference in at least potential outcomes if you can do that one thing really well. And Kent, I hear that that's something you're pretty good at. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. And and before this, I actually, I didn't know that that was your strategy as well, but, but absolutely. I mean, that's what, I think that's what's differentiated us. Um, that's what's made us successful and still able to provide returns that, that folks like expect because they were getting them three, four years ago yeah. um, in, the, in the market right now. We're not chasing the, the fancy shiny objects. We're finding those, those kind of diamond in the rough properties. And, and oftentimes they're smaller properties in more tertiary markets. Yeah. But, um, but I, I agree. I, so I totally agree with you. If, if you know how to do that, you can still create a ton of value, even, even in the market with where prices are today. Right. Yeah. It, it is amazing. I mean, there's, I've written probably five or six or seven recent articles on this in bigger pockets. I think it's so critical. And if we have time, you know, I'd love to talk to you, your audience about why I think that's so smart. Yeah, I, I think it'd be great to go there because I mean, it's, it's probably not something that, that folks hear about is really the, they hear what I'm doing, but not really the, the why behind yeah. it. So I'd love your perspective. Well, think about this. Mom and pop sellers, I, I should say operators, they've already benefited from a massive change in cap rates. Now they may not even know what a cap rate is and that's mm -hmm. better if they don't. Like the guy I told you about who didn't know what a rent roll was, right? <laughs> Slim, easy pickings. But anyway, seriously, I don't, I'm kidding about the easy pickings totally. But what I'm saying is a mom and pop operator doesn't have the desire or the knowledge or the resources, maybe or, or maybe and all those three things to significantly increase income and to maximize value. Let's face it, Kent, they don't need to. Cap rates have done this for them already. If a cap rate was running, let's say back in the day, 10%, you know, and they were making a $100,000 profit in the form of net operating income from their property, they had a million dollar property. Mm -hmm. Well, if the cap rates have compressed to, let's say, 5% now, their property just doubled in value to 2 million without them lifting a finger. They don't have to go through the hard work of raising rents. They don't have to go through the hard work of sub-metering every unit to pass the water and sewer bills and trash and termites back to the clients, back to the tenants. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do all the stuff that you and I know to do to make an incredible profitable sale. All they have to do is keep being mediocre. And I don't mean in their mind they're mediocre, they're doing what they've always done. But if you can be a professional operator that pays a fair price, a more than fair price even, to a mom and pop seller. And if you can add these valuable things, you can massively increase the value, the net operating income, and the wealth of your investors. I mean, if you can take that same $2 million apartment I just mentioned, and you can add value to where that you know net operating income is no longer 100000 but 150, you might think, oh, wow, 50% increase in income. That's amazing. But that can be three times 
increase in equity for your investors if you have 67% debt. And that's the power of using leverage. But it's even better than that because in an inflationary environment, you can lock in your debt. The banker doesn't get an inflation uh, coefficient. So if you can borrow money for 10 or 12 years, you can lock in your interest rate while your income goes up. It's a massive win. It's basically aligning yourself with the world powers behind inflation, behind <laughs> global banking and behind all that stuff. It might not feel like you're doing that, but you can do that. And if you do it by buying from a mom and pop, it's even better. And I've got <coughs> stories to back that up, but that's kind of the quick yeah. summary of why I love this. Well, yeah. And I think I'm seeing those, those things play out right now. I mean, day to day as we're, we're operating or looking at properties is, is the common situation is, you know, I, I kind of call them undercapitalized and, and mismanaged, right. Where just didn't have the capital to keep the property up and, and keep improving or keep renovating. And, and in many cases, just keep up with deferred right. maintenance. Right. So things have just kind of fallen to the side and then the mismanagement often that I see the home runs are when, where we see these properties, which is more common than probably people think where the properties are hundred percent occupied because the owner is managing for occupancy. They're not managing right. for income. Exactly. You know? And so you come in there hundred percent occupied, but that's really easy if you're $200 below the market. And so yeah. we're, we find those situations in different cities again and again. And like those, that's just, su it's such an easy lift as we bring in professional management and, and just change yeah. the mindset of how it's managed. And, and those are the wins. That's absolutely right. And sometimes they're 70% occupied, but again, they don't care. They paid off their debt years ago, right? sitting on a, a cash deal and they don't even care that it's 70% occupied. They're living at Myrtle beach, or maybe they're living right in the property, but either way, they don't want to fight the battle to maximize income, but you and I do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You got to, you got to love what you do here if you're going to, if yeah. you're going to be in the apartment space. So, so obviously, um, you know, we talk about in general, so multifamily. So we start, you start out by saying multifamily uh, may not be the perfect investment that you, you, you thought it, it, it may be right. You may be seeing some cracks in it and then you kind of get down into, but this specific niche, if, as long as you can buy them right from these mom and pops still, still has room to run. But, but take us back, like back out globally. What is it about that you've, you're seeing about multifamily that, that gives you pause or, or starts, to, starts to show the cracks for, from what you were originally saying of the, the perfect investment? Can you talk about that a little more and, and like what investors need to be looking out for? Yeah. So I think if you read my book, especially chapter four and eight, I give this powerful argument. My mentor taught me all this, so I can't take credit, but uh, a powerful, powerful argument for why multifamily is the perfect investment. And I think it is, unless you have to overpay to get there. And it's just that mm -hmm. simple. I was gotcha. uh, in Miami, Florida at a conference. It wasn't even about multifamily, but this extremely famous multifamily syndicator that has a jet or two uh, came up on stage. And I was like, whoa, what's he doing here? I'm so excited to hear him speak. This was like three years ago. And he got up there and he said a lot of stuff. But the one memorable thing he said was multifamily is so hot. You can pay whatever you need to just get in. Don't worry about overpaying. Just get in. 
And I literally thought he was joking. And I was waiting <laughs> for the punchline, like where he would say, that's not true. But he didn't. He was serious. And I went home. I'm writing a book on Warren Buffett's uh, uh, principles as applied to real estate investing. And I thought, man, Buffett would never say that. Charlie <laughs> no. Munger would never say that. Uh, Ray Dalio and Howard Marks wouldn't say that. I thought these guys have got like combined centuries of experience compared to this guy. I think that this is going to be a really bad situation. That's when I started rethinking and wondering, man, if there's a lot of people and I saw one of his deals that had a 1.5% cap rate. And I thought, man, if people are really wow. thinking that that's okay, then we got a potential carnage on our hands, you know? Yeah. So, so just like anything, it can get, it can get a little, it can get too good, right? It, it, you get to the point where, I mean, it sounds like, you know, and it, it it's, I guess it's interesting for us to say this cause we're in the space, but the uh, you know, there there's, it's, it's frothy, right. And yeah. ma- makings of, of a bubble situation where you have, I mean, just that comment in general, kind of framing it, you can pay whatever you want. I mean, that's just, that's not the truth, right? I think what we really know is you make your money on multifamily when you buy it and you have to buy it at the right price. And if you're, if you're not, then you're constantly chasing, like you said earlier, inflation. And you've basically, you've taken like the thing that I love about multifamily and just commercial real estate in general, I just choose multifamily is that you can, you can force appreciation right? You can improve the income. And as you improve the income, you, it, it creates value in the property, right? But if you, if you buy it at too high of a price, then you're, you're basically taking all the control out of your hands and putting all the control in the market's hands. Because like right. you said, you're hoping for inflation, which you can't control, right? right? And, and, and so that, to me, that totally negates the reasons that I like commercial real estate, the fact that you can control the ability to create appreciation. Right. I've talked to people who uh, multifamily syndicators who said, I was like, wait a minute, you're buying this at a what cap and you're paying people out like 7% a year from day one. How are you doing that? And they said, Oh, we just overraised. I said, what? Wait, what's that? I literally said that. I remember where I was sitting at breakfast with a guy who had more experience than me years ago. Yeah. He said, yeah, we just raised too much. And we just, we just use that to pay investors for the first couple of years. And we know rents will catch up. I'm like, dude, that doesn't even like totally sound legal, but if it is legal, it's not something I'd want to do. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you. You hear those stories all the time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So Okay. So we know that I guess where we're at is it's a market you have to be careful in, right? You have to, you have to buy in the right way. There's still opportunities in mom and pops, but you've got to be much more selective, right? Is, is, is the general rule. And so as you are to switch gears a little bit, as you're, you know, as you're looking at this and, and as you're looking at, at other opportunities, I know something that, that you mentioned previously was, was you, you know, you, you like mobile home parks and mobile home parks are something that I, um, you know, I also like as well, haven't made any investments yet, but, but looking all the time. And so talk a little bit about how mobile home parks fit into the equation. Yeah. You know, there was a uh, ad campaign. I don't know if you remember back in the, probably the nineties and they were saying, 
buy pork, it's the other white meat. And I thought that was a little funny, like, wait, is, is it really white? Anyway, so <laughs> mobile home parks are the other multifamily. Anyway, so I, I, I love mobile home parks because it's similar to multifamily. The math is similar. The ability to force appreciation is similar. Some of the things I like about it are, number one, you have a joint a partnership with your tenants. So in an apartment building, if somebody trashes it and leaves, well, they've trashed your property. If somebody trashes a mobile home in a mobile home park, in, if it's run well, hopefully that's going to be their own mobile home because they have the ownership of that home and they're renting a lot from you. They're basically doing a land lease with you. So that's one thing I love about mobile home park investing. A second thing is it's the only asset class that I know of that has a shrinking supply and an increasing demand every year. There's always demand for affordable housing and it's getting worse. You yeah. know that 10,000 people turn 65 every day, Kent, but six in 10 don't even have $10,000 saved for retirement. And so a lot of them do have a lot of home equity, though, and they can trade that home equity in. They can buy a mobile home. They can put it on an, in a nice park and they can live with low maintenance, their own little yard, their own parking space, and they can enjoy their life. And so there's a massive demand for this. And there's also massive demand from people whose wages are not keeping up with inflation, which is going to be even worse here in the near future. There is no cheaper place to live other than your parents' basement than a mobile home park. And so the uh, cost of mobile home lot rent is sometimes half or sometimes a third of what a single family home and some apartments rent for. So it's really a powerful asset class. One more thing I like is yeah. very hard to move. Um, if you, you know, if you raise rents at a mobile home park, let's say that the rents are 300 bucks, but the market is running 400. Let's say you raise rents from 300 to 350 or even 400 or even 425. Not that you'd ever raise it that much at once, but they're not going to like spend $5,000 to move their mobile home down the street to a different park just to save 20 or 30 bucks a month, especially when they could raise their rents there soon as well. So it's very, very costly to move. And this is actually a powerful aspect of this asset class. I want to be clear, I'm not saying we should use that as operators to take advantage of the tenants. I'm saying it's just a fact that they just don't move very often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, if you're going to buy a home for what, 30, 35,000, it's going to cost four or 5,000 to move. I mean, the math just just doesn't work out there, right? It doesn't make much sense. If you're barely making payments on your $300 lot rent, you're probably not going to spend 5000 to move. That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, and compelling. And I think, I mean, the reason I bring that up, I wanted to talk a little bit about mobile homes is because, and this the podcast is first about the investors. And I want people to be aware of these alternatives. And especially, I mean, I agree with you. I think that there are um, dangerous multifamily investments out there right now where you're not going to get the returns that, that you're promised. And so it's good to know about alternatives and other things to be looking into. And like anything else, you got to educate yourself, but they are closely aligned. You know, they, they do share a lot of similarities. Yeah. It's really so true. 
Yeah. So Paul, you know, before I let you go today, um, I want to hit on one other thing that, that I know you've written about and spoken about is this, you know, because, you know, again, back to the investors, I want to, I want to educate people. And, and I thought this was a really interesting topic of the secrets used by the, the super wealthy to maintain and attain their, their wealth over generations and kind of how, so, so one, what are those? I want to know them, but two, and then how, do, how does real estate fit into that? Yeah. So one of the secrets of the super wealthy is the commercial real estate value formula that you've probably talked about on this show before. And that is just simply that the value is not dependent on the neighborhood. If I buy a $200,000 flip house, I put 500,000 in it and now I got 700 in it, but it's a $400,000 neighborhood. Yeah. I probably won't get that $700,000 plus a profit out of it. But in commercial real estate, it's all based on math. And we love the math. The value is the net operating income divided by the cap rate. And though while you're not completely in control of the cap rate, it's based on several internal and other external factors, you can massively drive and force appreciation by using math to drive the NOI. And there is actually a way to work with the cap rate as well by buying from mom and pops and selling to institutional investors. But that's yeah. another story. So that's <laughs> one of the secrets of the super wealthy. The Forbes 400 wealthiest Americans almost all invest in commercial real estate. The other major reason is tax benefits. There are massive tax benefits of investing in real estate. And so, you know, your listeners have heard of 1031 exchanges, but there's also doing, you know, bonus uh, depreciation from cost mm -hmm. segregation studies. There's also swap till you drop. There's the possibility of becoming a qualified real estate professional to actually use your losses against your normal income or your spouse's normal W-2 income. There's all kinds of tricks of the trade. A friend of mine who had been in commercial real estate a couple decades said, I can show you how to take $20 million, invest it and reinvest it for 10 years, and then at the end of 10 years, start throwing off income to that investor, that $20 million investor. At the end of 10 more years, 20 total years, that $20 million cash has been leveraged into an, a portfolio of $210 million and $131 million in income has been thrown off along the way. Now that amazed me. What amazed yeah. me more was that he said, it's possible if perfectly maneuvered along the way that this investor might've paid zero in tax that whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's powerful. And that's why I wanted you to go there. And, and so I think those reasons, I think we built a strong case today for, you know, whether it's commercial real estate, multifamily, buying from the mom and pops, right? I love the idea of selling, buying from the mom and pops and selling to the institutions because Exactly. I mean, you like, you like know my strategy. So stop giving my secrets away, but yes, yeah, that's the right way to go. And then, and then mobile homes, which, which I love and, and the cash flow is great, you know? And so if that's, if that's your focus, I mean, mobile homes can be a great part of your portfolio. Yeah, I really can. Absolutely. Really well, Paul, before I, before I let you go, I, I want to put you through our keys to success. I got four questions I want to ask you. All right, let's do it. The first one is, so you've, you've made a lot of investments to so put your investor hat on. And if, if you could only ask 
one question to a deal sponsor, what is that one question that, that an investor should be asking before they make an investment? There's so many important questions. And one I would ask, of course, I'd ask about skin in the game and other things, but one I would ask is, tell me the disadvantages of investing with you and then listen hard for the way they answer that question. Gotcha. Disadvantages and potential downsides. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know if we've heard that one on the show yet. So appreciate you bringing that up. Hey man, a guy who has a podcast called How to Lose Money talks about this crap. <laughs> that's right, right? You've heard all of them. Yeah, man. So what uh, what are you most proud of in your career? Yeah, um, I think the way I bounced back a number of times, I, I was a millionaire at 33 and then I lost it. I, I can't say I lost it all but I was two and a half million dollars in debt exactly 10 years later. And I was debt free 13 months after that by applying some crazy principles that uh, I've talked about here and there on other shows. That's awesome. Now that's a fantastic story of resilience right there. And what's a book everybody should read? I really think a good one is Mastering the Market Cycle by Howard Marks. And uh, he talks a lot about investor psychology. I've read it twice and really enjoyed it. Warren Buffett says he reads every word Howard Marks ever puts out. So I thought that was kind of important. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great one. And lastly, what is your number one key to success? Man, you know, there are several. And when you uh, told me you were going to ask me that, I don't really know. I, I can tell you one I've struggled with. Like I told my wife this morning, I told one of my best friends, I was like, I am always struggling with my time. And so my sec, my runner up book would have been the one thing by Gary Keller, because mm -hmm. it's talking about how to absolutely focus your time, energy and attention on one thing. And I think that would be my key to success. It's also been the place I've failed the most. And that is learning how to harness and manage my time and focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a struggle, I think, for probably almost everybody, especially entrepreneurs, especially people that have their own businesses. There's so many directions you're pulled in. And it, sometimes it's hard to know which, which thing's going to provide the most value, you yes. know, and be able to prioritize. Yeah. So I definitely get that. Awesome. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If people want to learn more about you and, and what you're doing, how should folks get a hold of you? And I struggled for years trying to figure out how to get into commercial real estate. So I've created an e-course that people can get for free and they can go to my website. It's wellingscapital.com, W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S, capital.com forward slash resources. And when I say commercial real estate, I'm talking about large scale multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, cell towers, et cetera. Excellent. And we'll make sure all that's linked so folks can reach out to you and, and get access to your amazing course. So once again, Paul Moore, thank you so much for being on the show and hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Kent. You too, man. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.